Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Well, again, good Monday morning. I'm Paul filling in for Carmen this week. This is Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. And, okay, 14 days away from Christmas. Got some big family gatherings. Is there somebody that you'll be gathering with this Christmas season that is heavy on your heart? Because you know they're not following Jesus, are living in ways you know are hurting them and others. And are pulling them even further away from God. I want to encourage you with a couple of uh, news stories here that I saw. The first one I found at evangelicalfocus.com. Have you ever heard of Daddy Yankee? Daddy Yankee is probably one of the most successful artists in the Latin urban music genre. And he just had his farewell concert in Puerto Rico, leaving a, a lasting message about his faith in Jesus and a new direction he hopes to live his life. After presenting the songs that have made him one of the most successful artists in the reggaeton genre, that's another name for the Latin urban music, Ramon Luis Ayala Rodriguez, a.k.a. Daddy Yankee, stressed that living a successful life is not the same as living a life with purpose. I tried for a long time to fill a void in my life. At times I appear to be happy, but something was missing to make me uh, to make me complete. I have confessed that those days are over. He goes on in his closing concert to say, the Bible says, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before the Father. Now, whoever knows me as Daddy Yankee, let them now say, Daddy Yankee in Christ. Yeah, it goes on. Our story is, one story is over, but a new one is going to start, a new beginning. All the tools I have, such as music, social media, platforms, a microphone, Everything that Jesus gave me, I now give to the kingdom. It's important to mention um, his family in this whole discussion because he is looking forward to the coming of Jesus. His brother, Ramon's brother, Nomar Ayala Rodriguez, is an evangelical minister. And as his brother was confessing Christ before all these people, he posted a on his social media a video from 10 years ago, where Pastor Awanda Garcia spoke a prophecy about his involvement in Daddy's conversion. Something too powerful is coming for that man, uh, Awanda said, who is there. Uh, something powerful is coming for the man who is there, and no one is going to win over Daddy Yankee other than you, his brother. The pastor then said in a worship service at her Pentecostal church, you're going to pray for him and pray with him? And you're going to prophesy with him. Get ready. In reading that, it's like, okay, be patient in this. I know your heart is breaking for your family member. But don't give up. Love them well. If you can preach, if you don't want to be preachy, but if you, want to share, if you can share God's word with them, do so. If not, pray. Pray that they understand the beauty 
of God, his love, his grace. Just continue praying, even during the Christmas season and, and even beyond. Another uh, story. Maybe you've heard of Little Nas X. Well, he was in the news recently saying he's entering his Christian era. This was at Premier News, uh, Premier Christian News. Um, he recently released a segment of a video on X, formerly Twitter, a snippet of a song where he refers to God as Father. Now, Little Nas X, he was raised in a Christian home. He's the son of a pastor and former gospel singer. Yes, he has a complex relationship with a religion. Uh, There's been stuff that, you know, has been very questionable in his life. But here he is, finally reaching out to God, it seems. So in a recent post, the rapper sang the song, Father, Stretch My Hands. The lonely road seems to last the longest. Help me with my plans. Everything seems to go nowhere. Now, many people felt he was mocking Christianity, and there was a lot of backlash. I I read some of those. Uh, This is where social media can hurt instead of help. Now, in response to the criticism, Little Nas X expressed confusion, saying, this really is crazy because all I did was post a song about asking God for hope when I feel hopeless. And y'all act like I posted a video of me burning a church down. Okay. Again, remember, he came from a Christian family. And I'm sure his family are praying for him. Let's join with them in their prayers for this prodigal. Well, again, this is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul filling in. Last week, the uh, FBI director, Christopher Ray testified before Congress regarding our current threat assessment. And his, aspe- here's his assessment of the assessment, blinking warning lights everywhere. How should we be prepared to protect those we love and also to share God's love in the midst of these threats? Elizabeth Newman from the Moonshot Group will be joining us in just a few moments. This is Faith Radio. Oh, this is a wonderful Christmas present. My wife's car is going into the shop soon. <laughs> I'm Paul. This is Faith Radio. I'm filling in for Carmen. Yeah, my wife's RAV4 not only has the check engine light on, when that comes on, that gives you enough of a, you know, heart going crazy. And then at the same time, the tire pressure light came on, and she just had her tires checked. The air pressure is fine. And the traction control light. Okay, when the lights go on, you try and find out what's going on. You go to the right people, right? And so that's why she has an appointment this uh, Wednesday for that. But there's blinking lights everywhere when it comes to our current threat assessment. And I thought, okay, we need to talk to somebody who knows about threat assessments and such. Elizabeth Newman, a security analyst. She's also a member of the Moonshot Group and part of the National Immigration Forum. And, okay, you saw the lights flashing, right, uh, right Elizabeth? Yes. When I saw that quote from Director Ray of the FBI, I definitely had my eyebrows raised. You know where that comes from, Paul? Uh, no, I don't. That, that phrase is is associated with 9-11. Ah. So for those of us that work in the counterterrorism community, when you see the director of FBI say something like that, you you stop and, and you say, what what's happening why what you know what has shifted in the environment and i actually made some phone calls last week Mm -hmm. because it was so alarming to hear that and and what i've pieced together is it is a very uh challenging threat environment it is very dynamic um there was a an incident over the weekend um of an individual who was 
moments away from carrying out an attack on a church in Northern Virginia. Really? And somebody, somebody who was paying attention, saw some social media posts, called the police and local law enforcement disrupted it. Mm. Um, I mean, it is, we had an incident last week in Las Vegas at a college, uh, the university campus, a 67 year old man um, was the perpetrator. Um, and, and you, it is, there's that part of the environment that has been um, increasing for the last few years. And then we've added on top of it, what's going on in Israel and Gaza and the tensions uh, between, uh, you know, various people who might not have violent intent, but um, are very passionate about the conflict. Um, and you, you, add into it the the ongoing conflict in Ukraine, it, it's just a very, very tense environment. And I what I what I pieced together from talking to friends who are still in the intelligence community and and um, uh, keeping us safe uh, or attempting to keep us safe is that there's not a, a singular person like we had in 9-11 uh, where they were concerned about what bin Laden was doing, but they didn't know what he was doing. It's not a singular person or singular plot. It's that there's so many mm. people who are um, bent on violence and destruction. And some of them are in groups, uh, foreign terrorist organizations, but many, many, many of them are not in groups. And those are the very, very difficult for law enforcement to, to be able to detect and disrupt. It's very dependent on um, individuals like what happened over the weekend, uh, paying attention and calling local law enforcement if they feel like something uh, is off or seeking help for a loved one that they feel is like not doing well. Um, and that, I, that is, it's my understanding. That's what he was referring to. It's just a very difficult threat environment. A lot of um, cases that they have underway, a lot of um, uh, disruptions that, that they are, are performing on a uh, sadly um, a frequent basis. Uh, some of which we don't really hear about until uh, it gets to a, court situation where they're filing papers for the, for the court. So a lot of it we don't even know about, but it is it is a very challenging environment right now. So please pray for our law enforcement um, men and women who protect our communities and, and pray for families that are concerned about a loved one, that they would um, not ignore the warning signs, that they would seek help and have access to good help uh, for those that are at risk of, of um, perhaps mobilizing to violence. Um, it's it's a challenging environment. This time of year is always challenging for people. Mm -hmm. um, it it is it's one of those things that we every once in a while we need somebody to to alarm us. But I don't think we need to walk around in fear. Yeah. Um, and yet we also we need to we need to be praying. This this is a challenging environment that we're in. Again, we're talking with Elizabeth Newman with the Moonshot Group, and I want to bring up that Moonshot aspect, Elizabeth, um, because you're part of an organization that seeks to de-escalate a lot of the tension because right now there's so much elevated tension because of fragmentation, because of um, isolation, people feeling isolated. Yeah. And mm -hmm. what you try and do, your organization tries to 
open dialogue and help de-escalate things. Talk about that because I think that's important for us as Christians, especially as the church. We could be such a positive element in helping de-escalate. Um, so we reach people with offers of help uh, online, mm-hmm. um, people that are demonstrating behavior that ind- indicates they're at risk of violence, and um, we offer them support. We offer them the chance to connect with um, the uh, a counselor, um, and we do some of this nationwide at a, a uh, in partnership with the Crisis Text Line, which is an organization that um, immediately has 24-7 counselors available if somebody is in crisis and they can text them and uh, receive support. Um, in places where we are running more um, comprehensive campaigns, we actually train licensed clinical professional counselors um, on how to interact with individuals that are considering mobilizing to violence. And um, when we make that offer of support online, we're connecting that person if they if they choose, if they want help, we're connecting them to that trained licensed clinical professional um, for hopefully a, a long-term relationship where they can get the help and support that they need. Uh, we do find that um, uh, the, the drivers behind why people mobilize to violence. And this has been borne out through multiple studies over the last two decades. Uh, they're not, it's not really about the ideology. The ideology provides a moral justification for uh, what for the action that they're contemplating, but it's not really the ideology that that captures them in the first place to to move to this place of violence. What what the underlying need is is actually a need for belonging and a need for significance. And um, I'm I'm oversimplifying something that's very, very complex, mm-hmm. but uh, I think it's really powerful as believers to realize that part of our violence problem as a country, when you pull back all the complex layers, it the answer, the answer of needing uh, to belong or needing significance, one, that's that's every human's need. Um, and somehow as society, we've just become weaker in being able to meet those needs. Um, but two, we have the answer. <laughs> Jesus the is that answer, right? I mean, it's like, it's kind of, it really moves me sometimes when I stop and pause um, and think about it. Uh, so many, so much of our violence is coming from a place of people not having that core need met. And we know who the answer is. We know that Jesus can give you that belonging and that Jesus can give you that significance. And again, I am, that's an oversimplification. It's, it's not that simple, uh, but at the same time, it kind of is. <laughs> and, well, it's, it's one of those things like, okay, you know, when you're doing math, remember back in, uh, back in school, they wanted you to show your work instead of just using the calculator um, to get your answer? Well, it's kind of the same, same thing here. Yes, we know the answer is Jesus, but we need to show our work sometimes. Yes, yes, that's so true. That's so true. And and the way we show it is is us, right? It's yes. The, the relationships we provide. It's the significance we're providing. Um, and being connected to, to our communities and being connected to one another and to our neighbors. And, um, and you just... 
as we as we have become more isolated as a people um and as we have kind of withdrawn I, I don't know covid we're we're post covid now but there's still tendencies oh, yeah. of like oh it's just nice to stay home and not <laughs> deal with all the chaos of the world i uh while we were just talking before we went on air like it's the holiday season and you're like ah oh, it's a lot of chaos mm-hmm. and you know, especially as a mom with uh, kids at home, you just, oh, the holidays, it has a lot of joys and it has a lot of busyness. And yet it's also an opportunity to reconnect with our communities. People are more open to, uh, you know, carolers knocking on their doors. People are more open to pausing and having um, a conversation or receiving Christmas cookies or, you know, it just creates a little bit more opportunity for us to actually be in community with one another and I, that's what I've been trying to focus on. I don't know that I'm succeeding very well, but <laughs> it is, it is like it. It it sounds so simple, but the way out of this violence epidemic is that we actually have to reconnect to our communities, mm. and I I can't do it alone, right? Like I I I can do one small piece of it, but if we all, as the church, were doing that and. And yes, reconnecting within our church, but also outside the walls of our church, reconnecting to people in our communities who aren't necessarily attending our church, that belonging, that significance comes through relationship. And we are Christ ambassadors. And by bringing that belonging and significance into somebody's life, it is without even speaking words, though at some point there probably is a, a, a call to speak the words, but you don't even have to speak the words. It's just that you are Christ's presence in that person's life. And that changes our communities. And that leads us on a pathway to peace and hope. Um, but it's, we it's, have to be out. We have to be in the communities and, and doing the work. Yeah. It, it, you never thought just baking some cookies and giving them to a neighbor is it's not it's not sharing the gospel gospel you know you know telling them about Jesus that way but it is building that relationship so the gospel can be presented well exactly so uh, uh real quickly elizabeth a listener from uh, northern minnesota i believe just texted in just thanking you for your prayers oh. for law enforcement they work in law enforcement so Oh, oh, well, thank, oh, gosh, thank, thank you for what you're doing and how you're serving our, your community every day and keeping us safe. Um, I, when we went to church yesterday, I was uh, noticing the law enforcement presence, um, which, you know, these days in, in any medium or large sized church, that is often the case. But I just, it always moves me that to see law enforcement at a church, one, it just is so sad that that's what we need to do. But two, I'm just so grateful that they're there keeping us safe so that we can worship. Um, and just uh, really thankful for what you do. Mm. Well, again, this is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul filling in this week. Elizabeth Newman's my guest. We're going to switch gears when we return in just a few moments because last week on Tuesday, 12,000 people crossed the southern border into the U.S., a single-day record. The southern border continues to be a problem. And, you know, Elizabeth is also part of the National Immigration Forum, and I want her to speak into this. Again, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio. Feelings, nothing more than feelings. I mean, seriously, if all we had was nothing more than feelings, we would just be lost in a sea of mush. Hello, friend. Uh, I'm sure you have noticed by now that feelings are a terrible barometer of the truth. 
Our feelings are affected by the weather, world events, what we ate last night, whether or not someone we like or love texted or tagged us in a social post, how badly someone else sings. Yeah. mm -hmm. So if you're feeling lonely right now, I want you to ask yourself, am I really ever truly alone? Of course not. As a follower of Christ, Jesus promises to be with you always. He's literally with you right now in the thick of it, in the midst of whatever circumstances you're dealing with in your life. So I want to be a source of hope and encouragement to you today. If you are struggling to make it, even just to the next moment, if you're feeling lonely, text the word HOPE to 877-933-2484. Ah, yes, helping you apply the mind of Christ to the matters of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Carmen's out this week. I'm Paul filling in, but get an opportunity to talk with Elizabeth Newman. Uh, You have so many hats you wear, Elizabeth, including as a member of the National Immigration Forum. Uh, You know, how do you keep, where do you keep all these hats? (laughs) Uh, My husband wants to know that too, because I'm too busy. But but this one's important. I think uh, immigration, um, the way I came into it was actually from the counterterrorism perspective. Um, I I spent many years trying to uh, strengthen our screening and vetting systems to Mm -hmm. make sure that the people that come here are who we, who they say they are. And and we know if they pose a threat to us. And, and out of that work, I learned that uh, one, our screening and vetting systems are really, really robust now. Mm -hmm. And two, most of the people overwhelmingly, 99.9% 99.9% of the people that are coming here um, are are coming. They're not, they're not bad people. They're not uh, a threat to us. And so it actually um, created, a, a, you know, just kind of some heart work in me, just this um, conviction that my faith says we should be welcoming and uh, caring for those who are in need, um, the, the sojourners among us. And that's not necessarily how our policy has been playing out as a country. So it caused me to dig in and learn more. Well, you've been digging in on the issue of the southern border. And like I said last week, uh, Tuesday, 12,000 people at least, because this is what they were able to count across the border Mm -hmm. on Tuesday. The southern border continues to be a major concern. What are your thoughts about that report and well, again, how do how should we apply ourselves as believers to the situation? Yeah, so in the limited time we have, um, here's the here's the bottom line: the the flow of people coming to our southern border. First, first of all, this might I would consider a migration crisis. It is not unique to the United States. No. It's happening around the globe. Um, it is happening. Um, it's somewhat for economic reasons, but a lot of it has to do with armed conflict, uh, natural disasters, and political crises. Mm-hmm. Um, and until you solve that problem, and I say that tongue in cheek, right? Like, when are we going to solve the world's armed conflicts, natural disasters, and political crises? Until you solve that, you're not going to actually address the the push factors that are driving people up. Um the it is untenable and very concerning from a security perspective to have that many people in one day, not because 
not because any one of them or, or all of them are posing a threat, but we need an orderly process. Right. We need to know who is coming and we need to be able to process them and determine whether they have a valid asylum claim. And that's what most people um, who are crossing, whether they're crossing at ports of entry through the appropriate process or if they're crossing illegally um, uh, at places where they are able to get smuggled across, um, they are coming and they're claiming asylum. And the asylum system is broken. So when while it's very hard and difficult, or at least a very long-term problem to solve the push factors, the reasons why people are fleeing their countries, we could be doing more to fix the asylum process, um, which is known as a pull factor. Mm-hmm. It is um, it takes so long for a claim to be heard that in effect, it basically is your get in free card. So and the cartels know this, and it is big business for the cartels right. to be uh, bringing people up um, through. Uh, Central America through Mexico into the United States. So here's the very short version of it. Basically, once you get in, you can go. Th- the cartels teach you what to say to an asylum officer, so that you're you're increasing your chances of being granted the right to make an asylum claim. There are a small percentage of people that don't pass that initial bar and they're deported immediately. But the rest of them, if the initial screening shows that they have a potential claim. They are given a piece of paper called a notice to appear, and then they are allowed to stay in the United States until their court date. The problem is that that court date for an asylum claim is taking months, if not years. Mm. And so in effect, if you can get in and you get that notice to appear, you might be able to stay here for seven, eight, nine years legally. And that's the thing that most people don't appreciate. They are legally here uh, because they have that notice to appear. Right. The The way we fix this is we shorten that process time and do it in days or weeks, not years. Um, and because there are a number of people who eventually do not get their asylum claim granted, and it, it would take longer to explain why, but <laughs> yeah. we need to shorten the period between their initial processing and when they get their court date. Mm-hmm. That's that's. And in order to do that, we need more resources. In order for more resources to be applied, we need Congress to act. Yeah. So it all kind of comes back to Congress not doing their job. <laughs> so yeah. uh, you know, it's, part of it too is again, you mentioned there's all the upheaval around the world, and you know, in Central America, I spent time. I got to do this quickly here because I spent time down in Honduras a couple of Novembers ago, seeing how broken the they're their nation is, and yet there are organizations doing good work to help foster healthy community. And again, as the church supporting, because a lot of those are churches doing it, supporting their work on the ground would go a long way to help. Mm -hmm. A lot of little things make a big difference. For sure. So, hey, Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us again here on Mornings with Carmen. And I hope you have a, you and your family have a Merry Christmas and things and settle down a little bit. Merry Christmas. <laughs> well, this is Mornings with Carmen. Hey, real quickly, be in prayer for the people of Central Tennessee that got hit by a series of strong storms and tornadoes over the weekend. Uh, I saw a picture of a church. It was the... Um, 
Walnut Grove Missionary Baptist Church in Clarksville, Tennessee. Now, thankfully, the main building, just minor damage, but one of the buildings on the property, uh, another one was totally devastated. Thankfully, Pastor Carl Livingston, who was out of town at the time, but saw the pictures and, okay, he's heading back home, but he's counting it a blessing that um, that it could have been worse and it wasn't. God got protected, so... Blessings to uh, to Pastor Carl and his congregation, and to those be in prayer. And if you can help out through your church's uh, benevolence fund, they may be active in that area. I would encourage you to do that. You know, the Christmas season is is powerful in many ways, especially because it evokes so many memories, favorite songs, favorite movies, maybe a gift you got from your grandma years and years ago. Unfortunately, there may be bad memories and experiences in the past that can dull the joy, not just during the Christmas season, but life in total. Even deeper, maybe there's things you suffered in the past, things you did in the past that continue to, you you feel mark and haunt you and cause you pain and even isolate you. Is there a way to get past your past? Jason Van Ruler says yes. He's going to join me next here on Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Okay, if God is gracious and forgiving, why do why do I still feel bound by my past mistakes? Hey, I'm Paul, and filling in for Carmen here on Faith Radio, and hope we can address that in the next uh, 15 to 18 minutes here to help find hope, because a lot of us still feel the effects of mistakes we've made or stuff done to us. Jason Van Ruler is a licensed therapist, coach, and speaker, and are you still in the Sioux Falls area, Jason? I am. Yep, that's correct. Wonderful. Hopefully you listen to Faith Radio uh, there on AM 1270. Or, I Absolutely. <laughs> well, anyway, Jason, thank you for joining us here on Faith Radio. Uh, we're going to be talking around your book called Getting Past Your Past, How Facing Your Broken Places Leads to True Connection. And this is a personal book to you. I can tell that at several levels because of the stories you tell about yourself and your family. Tell us a bit about your youth and it, again, you could have been even more broken, but yeah, just share about your youth. Yeah, well, let's see. I started out uh, with what I would call a, a pretty idyllic childhood. Um, things seemed like they were just going to fall into place and and be just as I expected. Um, and then at age eight, my parents divorced. And so we mm. kind of went from having this, uh, this wonderful childhood uh, with all the things to then uh, going into a place where there was a lot of chaos and volatility. And so after my parents divorced, um, basically all the things that I had known and the stability just went out the window. Um, and so we fell into a place where uh, we were moving all the time. There was a lot of addiction and trauma and abuse. And so it was just night and day different. Um, and for an eight-year-old kid, that was a lot. Um, and so that continued on through the rest of childhood until I graduated high school and, of course, said, I'm leaving here. I'm never coming back. Did did all the things that teenagers do. Yeah. Okay. No. So stuff was done or at least impacted you because of the family breakup. But you also had things, okay, that you did to yourself and to others. Yeah, yeah, there was both. So, I mean, I had, you know, what I looked at when I was a child is, you know, all these things, you know, abuse and trauma, all these things that I never asked for, um, and that were not obviously my idea, and I would have just as soon not had happened. But then when I graduated high school, uh, I said, you know, I'm going to do everything differently. 
everything's going to be different. Um, and I kind of made this declaration. And the problem was I really had no idea how to do that. Mm-hmm. And so within a couple of years, I had recreated in many ways the life that I had just come from and said that I was leaving. Um, and so now the difference was it was me that was doing the, the things. It was me that was chaotic and me that was volatile and, and me that was drinking too much and making all the poor decisions. And and so that was a totally different thing because it's one thing to have that done to you and to have to live with that. And it's another thing to then make those decisions yourself. Again, we're talking with Jason Van Ruler. He is the author of Get Past Your Past. Oh, yes, we do have a handful of copies we'll be giving away. So if you'd like to get in on the drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484. All right, you touched my heart, uh, Justin, because you, you or Jason, that is, because you brought in a Wendell Berry quote, which was early in the book, and I love it. The past is our definition. We may strive with good reason to escape it, or to escape what's bad in it, but we will escape it only by adding something to it. There's a lot to unpack in that that brief quote. Let's talk about that, especially what we need to add to our past. Yeah, we need to add perspective. So as we've gone through that, everything that we lived through and those experiences created a relationship with our past And while that can be accurate in some ways, what often happens is is that as we grow and as time passes, that relationship changes. And some of the messages that we learn from our past experiences are no longer accurate as we move on with our life. Those were simply accurate in those moments. And so if we don't take the time to look at that and say, what did I learn from these experiences and how does that play out in my day-to-day life today? we are likely to replicate all those past experiences we've had because we don't have intentionality around it. Mm. One of the aspects I was looking at that when I read that quote, it's like, okay, not only do we have to add something, here's where God comes in because, okay, we, we oftentimes see that passage in Romans where it says God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And we take the, we chunk the God part off of it. We just kind of, okay, all things will work together for good. No, God, there's the application of his grace, both in our lives and then through us to others. But I want you to address that issue a bit more. Absolutely. Well, well, God is definitely part of it. Um, And when I talk to clients, you know, it's hard to talk about healing and about changing our relationship with our past without talking about God first, because that that is all going to be found with God. Uh, I believe we have both grace and truth. And so we get that grace from God to help us walk through this journey. And it's it's a difficult one made easier by knowing that that we are loved and we're acceptable and worthy before we even get started in this process. Okay. And then, again, getting back to adding those things in, that perspective, I want you to really lay this out. What's at stake if we don't add these things? Well, we just replicate what we've come from. Kind of like when I left my childhood and I and I made that declaration that I was going to be completely different. Um, what I realized today is that I actually had no idea how to do that. And so it's one thing to say it, and it's another thing to live it. And so to live it, we have to really understand where we came from, but then also have community to help us walk that out in a different way. And so the things that we add to it are perspective, grace, truth, Those are important things because when we have those, we begin to see it differently. We can't change what has happened, but we can change our relationship to it by adding these things. 
Right. So we need to, again, again, continue to add that. And that requires, requires us to be honest with our past, whether something has been done to us or we've done something. And I want you to share a story. And you have a lot of stories in there about your personal life, but I'm trying to remember the name of the, um, the guy who came out of prison that uh, you were working with. Um, Terry. Terry, yeah. yes. Tell, him, tell us about Terry. Yeah, well, I, I spent a couple of years uh, managing a staffing company and ended up having a person come in who was looking for a job. And uh, when I saw this person, I was just pretty sure they were not going to get a job. Uh, mm-hmm. They were covered in tattoos and they just carried themselves in a way that I thought, okay, this this is going to be a short-lived exchange. Uh, but I gave them an application anyway. And a couple of minutes in after giving that application, this person came up, Terry came up. Um, and just said, I'm really struggling because I've never really learned how to read. I've never really been able to do that. And so I was kind of taken aback. And I thought, of course, I'll, I'll definitely help. And in doing that, learned that this person had actually been in prison for most of their life uh, for murder. And so as part of that, they, they just skipped all the childhood stuff and all the learning things. And so really for them, this was their first attempt at getting a job. And I was just so taken aback by Terry and just the desire to be different. Um, certainly it would have been easier to just continue to do more of the same, but he'd been released from prison. And so was about to try to do all the things that we try to do, like get a job and get a place. And so that willingness just really demonstrated to me that that's really one of the first and most fundamental steps of changing who we are and changing our life is just the willingness to ask for help mm-hmm. and to have a goal and to ask someone to help us get to that goal. Now, he did ask somebody to help, but somebody gave him, like you said, perspective. Exactly. Exactly. And it was someone who, you know, I had done those things before, and so I could help him navigate that. And so that that was really important, too, because had he just replicated what he'd known, that would have led to the same place. And so the asking for help is really fundamental, and, and it's vital that we ask someone who not only knows how to help, but is willing to help us get to that place, because it's probably going to look different than the place we've already been. Mm. Again, Jason Van Ruler is our guest. He is the author of Get Past Your Past, How Facing Your Broken Places Leads to True Connection. Yes, we have a handful of copies we're giving away, so text the word book to 877-933-2484. When Jason and I continue our conversation, who are the people you're able to help you get perspective, who you're open with? We're going to talk about that because the right people make a huge difference. This is Mornings with Carmen. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do on the Faith Radio Network every day. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources waiting for you to take advantage of and share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. Be sure to check us out on social media as well. Um, This is a community of believers, and we gather together here and We all need prayer, and, well, we'd love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer. We pray for specific requests every single week when we gather on Tuesdays and Thursdays as a staff. So share your prayer request with us anonymously and securely on our website at MyFaithRadio.com, and then be assured of our prayers for you in the Spirit of Christ. Check it all out at MyFaithRadio.com. 
Well, again, this is Mornings with Carmen. Thank you for listening. I'm Paul filling in this week and right now talking with Jason Van Ruler, author of the book, Get Past Your Past. And yes, as I mentioned, we have a handful of copies we're giving away. So to get in on the drawing, uh, 877-933-2484. Text the word book to that number to get in on the drawing. Uh, Jason, uh, oh boy, it's been 2011, 2012. I was at a very low point in my life. And tried to do a lot of the stuff on myself, trying to navigate all the issues I was struggling with. And I finally came to a point, thanks to, uh, well, partly due to uh, uh, Brene Brown's book, uh, one of her books, and then also a ministry called True Face, that I came to realize I can't do it by myself. I needed people to help me. And you you hone in on this because, okay, today we live in a world where so many people, they want to be transparent, but they do it on places like social media and such. And, okay, you write in your book the importance of being transparent with the right people. Well, who are the right people? Why are they so important? Yeah, that's a great question. And and I think, like you said, you know, being transparent on social media looks a lot different than being transparent with someone who's actually there to meet you in that place. Mm-hmm. And so we want to be transparent with people who can receive that and people that can help us. Um, otherwise, what we're doing is we're just kind of putting that out there uh, and seeing what happens. And if we've ever struggled to trust people or to have vulnerability or authenticity, that's really dangerous. And so one of the first things we want to identify is who can I talk to that's safe? Who can I talk to that is willing to meet me in this place and has my best interests at heart? Right. You know, and, and oftentimes there are people you already know that love you. For me, it's like when I was going through the situation, it's like, okay. Who are the people I know, the guys I know who love me, who know when I'm blowing smoke, and who can really speak into my life? And I narrowed down five guys in my life at that point. Uh, What are some ideas you have for helping people know who to talk to? Yeah, well, I think it's just, it's so vital to have those people to talk to. And like you said, you probably have some of those people in your life already, I talk in the book a bit about this, but there are five attributes of what I would call safe people. And by safe people, I just mean people who are really focused on helping you and meeting you where you're at. And so here are the five. It's they're good listeners. They don't try to fix you. They give you space to grow. They validate you, but are also willing to challenge you. And like you said, that one's really important is yes. the people who can say, I hear that, but but I think there's more. Uh, and then number five is they're willing to help and they have experience to draw from. A lot of times, if we don't have a person who kind of knows how to help us navigate through some of these situations, they're just going to help us to do what they've done. And if they've not done those things, it's going to be challenging to get to where we need to get to. Mm, that is so important. I resonate with all of those because those were the attributes of these guys. I mean, one was willing to – They all, all of them did things differently. That's the thing. And I, I had to learn to accept their differences in helping me because, you know, th- they come from their own perspectives. And sometimes some of the stuff I said, they were kind of, whoa, I need to think about that a bit. But in the end, I knew they were there for me. And those are the relationships that help us heal mm-hmm. is when we know that. And like you said, everybody's different. And so you're not going to get the same thing from everyone. And that's actually a beautiful thing because what we're trying to do is build healthy community. And so through all those perspectives and that help, we begin to understand what's true for us. And we begin to understand where we're really going. 
And so it takes relationships to do that. I, I think so often we're kind of encouraged to do things on our own. And it seems like if we can't do it on our own, then there's something wrong with us. But I think actually God calls us to do things in community and, and to have that group of people that help us to really live that life we're called to live. Again, Jason Van Ruler is our guest in this edition of Mornings with Carmen, and again, his book, Get Past Your Past. Uh, I have a handful of copies to give away, 877-933-2484. Text the word book to that number to get in on the drawing. One more thing, Jason, and there's a part of your story, and that of yours, you and your your wife, uh, Jody, where it was interesting reading how something that was a trigger in your past became something different. It has to do with a song, the uh, uh, Everett Brothers, is it? Um, uh, yep, the Avid Brothers. Avid yes. Brothers. I always get that wrong. But Avid Brothers, I in love and you. I want you, we have a couple of minutes. I want you to tell the story of how that song factors into yours and your wife's life, where it went from a very hard song to listen to to one. Now you listen to it, it's like, wow, we've been, we've gone through so much and we're in a better place. Talk about that. Yeah, well, that song I, I've, I've had quite the relationship with. Um, we, my wife and I struggled quite a bit to get pregnant. In fact, uh, at a point, we're told that we would not be able to. And so as part of that, we decided to move towards adoption um, and had gotten all the way uh, to a place where we were set to adopt a child. And so we left our home in South Dakota and we drove to this place uh, to actually meet the, the birth mother and adopt the child. And on the way, uh, the child had been born. On the way, we were informed uh, when we got there that uh, the mother had changed her mind. Mm. And it was really difficult because we had had the nursery set up and the car seat. We had all the things that you would have, except for we didn't have the baby. And so we began the long ride home with the empty car. And I just, I had no idea what to say. Um, you know, believe it or not, I haven't always been a therapist. And so uh, I wasn't quite sure what to do in that moment when it feels like everything is falling apart. And so we were just driving and this song by the Avid Brothers came on. Um, and in that moment, for whatever reason, I just felt all the things. Um, the emotion just came to the surface and I felt it. And my wife did too. And so I think both of us were just flabbergasted. We, we didn't know what to say, but we knew how we felt. And so we just listened to that song a lot on the way home. And I think it captured for us how we were feeling. And so for a long time, that song represented that day. Mm -hmm. And I would find myself flying around the country to do these speaking events and things and hear that song at Dunkin' Donuts and start to tear up, uh, which was always a little awkward because everyone wondered why I was so sad about donuts. But <laughs> I had this exactly. song yeah, as this reminder of this really painful time. But as I began to do the work and to really look at my past and some of the messages, I actually found with some perspective that that song really represented one of the most connected times I've ever had with my wife. Wow. And, and definitely wouldn't have signed up to do that again that way. Uh, but it really was representative of one of the first times that I shared something really hard with someone else um, and was loved in that space. And so as difficult as that song was over the years, as I've changed my relationship with that experience, I now see that as a connection point that led to something better. Today, we have three kids. Um, and so it did all work out in the end. And I realize it doesn't all work out in the end for everyone. But that song really brought us together. And in that moment, even though everything else had fallen apart, we knew that we were together. 
Um, and that made the difference. And again, perspective changed your your impression of that song um, all these years later. So, so cool. Absolutely. Hey, hey just uh, I keep wanting to call you Justin. What is that? Jason. I'll Jason. take it. I've been called worse. Okay. I will take Justin. Yeah, that I usually okay. tell people if they misname <laughs> me, it's like, just don't call me late for supper. We're good. So <laughs> yes. anyway, Jason, thank you again for joining us here on Mornings with Garmin on Faith Radio. Yes, thank you so much for having me. You are welcome. And again, yes, we have a handful of copies we're giving away. Text the word book to 877-933-2484 to get in on the drawing. For again, Jason Van Ruler's book, Getting Past Your Past, How Facing Your Broken Places Leads to True Connection. Well, I'm Paul. Thanks again for spending time with me here on Faith Radio. Hey, just a quick happy story here. Hats off, or should I say socks off, to a California teen, Ellie Gianelli of... um, of Stockton, California, has been making colored socks with silly designs on them for years, sending them to seniors in nursing homes and care homes to brighten their day. Well, the high school junior started Project Socks for Seniors back in her seventh grade so far. She's spruced up 92 care homes in 48 states. She's going for 50 states this Christmas season, sending out these silly socks. So hats off to Ellie for doing that. Well, again, thank you for listening to Faith Radio and Mornings with Carmen. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages and now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.